Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. As has been said, my name is John. I'm the worship pastor here and a site pastor for our evening service as well. Great to be with you uh, today. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd love to encourage you to flick out your Bible, either digital or paper, and get to Luke uh, chapter 14. And we're going to be starting at verse 7. If you don't have access to a Bible, um, chat to our welcome team or me, and we'd love to help you access one. Um, Or if you've recently become a Christian, there are some lovely green bags down here with New Testaments in. So if you've just recently become a Christian, do um, grab a green bag. And um, yeah, that'll be our our privilege. It's free for you to take. Everyone loves free things, right? So we're going to uh, jump straight into our passage today, Luke 14. I think Violet's going to come and read for us. Violet, do you want to come up? And can we we get a mic? Is that okay? Thanks, Amy. Great, so we're going to go from Luke 14, um, starting at verse 7. Morning, church. I'll be reading from Luke 14, 7 to 11. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Violet. That's great. So... <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. So what is Jesus talking about? What's all this about choosing seats of honor or not taking the best seats? Um, why was it countercultural? So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, but I can categorically say that what Jesus wasn't talking about was this nice empty row of seats at the front. These, these might be the best seats in the house, but look, they're normal, they're normal seats. You know, they're not going to let you down. They're normal seat. And there's you know, lots of space to worship. So honestly, in the words of The Price is Right, come on down, sit on the front, sit on the front. <laughs> It would be great to have you there. Also, Jesus isn't talking about Did you know that Rosa Parks it was, was born today, on many, many years ago? Um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> um, and so obviously she um, wouldn't give up her seat, um, rightfully so, to someone who was white. And that kind of you know, played a big part of the um, civil rights movement in America. But Jesus isn't talking about that either. So what is he talking about? Well, in Jewish culture, when people gathered to eat, where you sat really mattered. There was a hierarchy or a culture of honor. A Jewish seating arrangement would have looked something a bit like this on the screens. There we go. So as you can see, the host would have sat in the middle of the middle table. And they didn't really sat seat. They kind of like just lay down, um, which is, to be honest, a good way to eat your dinner, if you ask me. Um, but they'd sit in the middle of the middle table. And then the most honored guest would be to his left. And then as you got further from the host, each position had less honor. Jesus observed that as people entered the room and sat down, each person chose to sit on the next highest seat. Does that make sense? They were trying to climb the social ladder by kind of being closer to the person who was most important. So every person would come in and they'd take the next one and then the next one and then the next one until it was kind of going from the inside out. In doing that, they were then demonstrating, or they were trying to say, look, others are less important than me. I need to be sat near the important person because I am more important than you. And that was kind of the dynamic that was going on. 
A modern similarity would be at a British wedding, you often have a, like a top table um, with the bride and the groom and their kind of close family. Imagine if, you know, at a wedding, the bride and groom went and sat down and then everybody stood at the door and then ran and jostled, jostled for position next to the bride and groom. That's a little bit like what's going on in this story. The theologian Alistair Roberts says, the meal table is a political site where new manners, communities, and values are cultivated. In his radical teaching concerning proper conduct at feasts, Jesus unsettles these prevailing social politics and calls us to transform our behavior to correspond to the inbreaking order of his kingdom. So as we read this parable through this context, we can understand that Jesus is instructing us to be humble. This was countercultural in his day, and it's countercultural in our day today. The wisdom of the world says, climb the ladder, you know, be the best, elevate yourself. Perhaps you recognize some of these uh, well-known recent advertising slogans. Uh, be with the best. Anyone? That's AA. The best a man can get. Gillette. Gillette, yeah. And the UK Army is just fully out there. Be the best. And you only have to watch an episode of The Apprentice uh, to see what happens when people are in danger of getting fired from the show. They all elbow anyone out. They immediately try to elevate themselves and tread on whoever they need to, throw anyone under the bus to promote themselves. Unfortunately, many of you might have actually experienced this in your workplaces, universities or schools or sports clubs and so on. Maybe someone has sought to elevate themselves and you've been trodden down as they do that. And that can be really difficult. It seems that self-promotion is the default of our society. Sometimes we can even fear that if we don't elevate ourselves, we might be left behind and forgotten about. So Jesus' words to choose humility are as relevant to us today as they were in his time. But what exactly is humility? There are lots of definitions going around. We think we might, I, I, I certainly thought that I knew what it was. But let's play a quick pop quiz. Uh, I'm going to read out two statements, and I invite you to tr take a vote on which one you think is a good definition of humility, okay? So statement one is, I'm the most important person. I'm better than everyone else and deserve uh, to be paid the most, talked about the most, and appreciated the most. Statement two is, I'm nothing. Everyone matters more than me. I'm useless, and what I want doesn't matter. Who thinks statement one is a good definition of humility? Good, good job. We've all, <laughs> you've all passed the test. Uh, st um, um, who thinks statement two? Maybe a couple, but yeah, no. See, you've all spotted through. You've all seen through it. It's actually a trick question. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I know, sorry about that. But to illustrate the point, statement one is pride. And statement two is one of false humility. I heard this definition of humility from the author Rick Warren that I found helpful. He says this, true humility is not thinking, next slide Dave if you could, thanks man. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. In other words, true humility isn't saying I'm nothing, I'm worthless, this is false humility. It's denying your own personal value as a loved, cherished, created with purpose child of God. Which also means if we're believing that, then we are less able to serve others because we are in that place. Perhaps some of you today struggle with a low view of yourself. And I'd love to encourage you to, to ask Jesus to help you with that. Instead of false humility, true humility is saying, 
what would serve other people? Other people are so important. What can I do to love and elevate and serve them? This viewpoint, if you, in those statements I just read out, there's no I. What would serve other people? Other people are so important. What can I do to love and elevate and serve them? It's not focusing on where we might stand in the social order. It's about helping other people to elevate in the social order. It's also worth saying that confidence here is a factor too. Sometimes people might um, perceive confidence as pride. Pride says, I am great, whereas humble confidence is saying, God has blessed me with these abilities, and therefore I'm, be, I'm able to do this thing, or I'm able to raise other people up. Confidence can be humble. Other places in Scripture support this definition of humility as well. Philippians 2 says in verse 3 and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I love how it's not looking to your own interests. You're not even paying attention to your own interests because you're so focused on the um, interests of others. So what does that mean for us today? Where are you faced with the opportunity to either elevate ourselves, elevate yourself, or elevate others? Who do we consider in our world to be sat in the lower seats, as it were, on the table that we can bring up and elevate? Perhaps in the workplace, you could either petition to be paid more than your less competent colleague, or you could come alongside your colleague to help them build their skills and raise them up. Perhaps with your time and money, you could either indulge yourself, or you could use it to serve another person. Perhaps in your friendship groups, you could fight to be part of the in-crowd by developing these really strong, exclusive friendships. Or you can always be, have, a, have an open eye for the person who isn't involved in conversation and bring them in, help them to connect with others. And now I want to just take a second to celebrate my worship team. I'm the worship pastor here, so I get to do this. So you'll have to listen to it. Um, but humility is a characteristic that I think many of my team express well. If we go back to those, those two things of pride and false humility, uh, somebody could say, I'm the greatest worship leader who's ever lived. You need to put me on a band right now. That would be prideful. Others could say, well, you know, I've played an instrument for many, many years, and I've had all this training, but I couldn't possibly be any, any use to the worship team. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just not good enough for that. That would be false humility. But instead, my worship team spends lots of time practicing in their own time. They spend money on gear. They come out on a weeknight to rehearse, and they play all day on a Sunday, once a month. And they say, I've got God-given gifts, and I'm going to count the cost financially and take my time from other things to serve God and his church. And I know many of you also serve on many other teams in this church. And I'm sure if Lauren was stood here or anyone else, they would be able to um, celebrate you as well. I've even had members of my worship team say, I love being part of a worship team and I want to continue. But if there's anyone else that could use an opportunity, give, me, give them my opportunity. I love that sense of not holding on to a position with pride in their hearts, but making space for others to be involved. So perhaps you might want to consider about how you could humbly serve God and his church, maybe by volunteering with one of the church's ministries. There's a temptation to think sometimes when you're looking for churches like, well, this church gives me good teaching, but this church gives me good worship, but this church, that's where the community is, is happening, that's where all the fun is happening. So this is what I can get from that church. It's, it's tempting to think, what can I get from these churches? 
My encouragement today is to encourage you not to think, what can I get from this church? But instead, ask, how can I contribute? What can I give of myself to help this church to reflect God's kingdom? No role or ministry is more or less important than another. What matters is that we are all involved in the mission of church to help people follow Jesus, live life to the full, and make a difference. So how could you humbly invest in our church community? So we've looked at Jesus' call for us to be humble in our interactions with other people, but there's something else in this passage. If you just pop that passage up again, Dave. There's a little word right at the end of verse 7. Anyone see what that word is? Right before, yeah, parable, right before that little num- number eight. When, a lot of the time when Jesus told a parable, there's often a deeper meaning to what he is saying. Often, oftentimes there's an obvious meaning that's like very easy to understand, but then there's like a deeper meaning underneath. And so whenever you read your Bible and you see that little word parable, just think, God, is there something deeper here which I'm supposed to understand? Maybe turn to your neighbor and just say deeper meaning. Deeper meaning. So when you're going through your Bible, and whenever you want to do, like, read your Bible and you see the parable, God, is there a deeper meaning that you have for me here? Well, what could the deeper meaning be in this case? Well, let's think about it. Is there, is there something significant about a banqueting table? Where else have we maybe seen a banqueting table in the Bible? There's loads of different uses, aren't there? God often uses the banqueting table imagery, particularly when talking about feasting with God as a sign of God's provision, his victory, his boundless goodness, his generosity. In Revelation, there is a banquet uh, for the celebration of God uniting with his people in eternity. If we think about God being the host of that banquet, then if we think about that picture we saw a little while ago, we can imagine how people might want to elevate themselves and try and push others out to be seen closer to God. We actually see it in the Gospels as well. Um, two of the disciples' mother asks them, could, could my boys sit at your hand, at your, at your left hand, right hand, right hand? And, it, and it's, this, it's this sense of trying to jostle for position before God. It can be tempting for us to deliberately do good things in front of other people, just to make ourselves look good. Have you ever done that? Like, oh, I could stack some shares here, and like, maybe people might think I'm a nice person. Or maybe we, like, we, we might even boast about how much we give to certain charities. Or, you know, there are lots of... You might think, John, this, I'd never do such a thing. <laughs> I'd never do such a thing. But maybe just think, you know, in the presence of the Lord, God, is there something in my heart which is doing something because I need to receive praise? Am I waiting for someone to say thank you? Am I dependent on that person saying thank you to me? Even little things like that can just be an indication that actually we're trying to do good things to be seen as good in God's eyes and amongst our fellow people. Do we let ourselves off with a small moral failing that we would hold against someone else? Do we hold standards for ourselves that are different to the standards that we hold for other people? Do we have more grace for ourselves than we do for other people. I think that sometimes we don't just pass ourselves off as better people than others around us. Sometimes we actually deny our need for God. You know, N.T. Wright says this, Pride, notoriously, is the great cloud which blots out the sun of God's generosity. If I reckon that I deserve to be favored by God, not only do I declare that I don't need his grace, mercy, and love, but I imply that those who don't deserve it shouldn't have it. Isn't that a a, a convicting quote, isn't it? Lord, would you help us to have mercy for others to the same extent that we might have for ourselves? 
Lord, would you help us to recognize our own brokenness and nothingness before you? Please extend your mercy to us for when we've held ourselves in high regard. Amen. So humility actually has a, a big part in the Bible's story of mercy as well, not just in our lives, but in the wider story of the kingdom. We've just prayed for forgiveness there, and, and that is because by nature we are all quick to stray. We needed a saviour who would make this forgiveness possible. God, would you, God, 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 God will well, have well been within his rights to say, you've chosen evil, sort it by yourself. You're on your own. You've made your bed, now sleep in it. But he didn't. Jesus could have stayed in heaven, but he chose not to. And I love what it says in Philippians 2 about this. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I just want to quickly pull out three points on this just as we close. Firstly, Jesus is our example. In verse 5 it says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, imitate Christ. Christ is our example in humility. He didn't consider his own advantage, just like we read earlier, but he forsook heaven's comfort and glory to lay down his life. Help us, Lord, to follow your example. Next, Jesus is our saviour. Our sin, our mistakes meant that we were deserving of death. But Jesus stepped in. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, in his love, was so overcome by sorrow at the thought of our hearts being forever distanced from him that he literally laid down his life for us. I think sometimes we forget that in church. and We just think, oh, yeah, Jesus died for me. Yeah, whatever. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus told us in our Luke passage that those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so when we humble ourselves before Jesus, when we kneel before him and acknowledge our sins, our errors, and say, God, would you have mercy on me? I come humbly to you. I want you to be glorified, and I want to live for the benefit of your kingdom. God then exalts us. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. God exalts us from that place of humility, and he raises us up to eternal life. And if you haven't accepted him in your life today, you can do that. Uh, before, you can do that today. You can accept that free gift that he extends to you of love and acceptance, of welcome, of eternal life brought by his death. All you need to do is accept his invitation and humbly come before him. If you want to do that right now, I'm just going to pray a quick prayer. And I encourage you to pray it with me in your head or out loud. Lord Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself for my mistakes. I turn away from all my mistakes and I turn towards you. I welcome you into my heart. Holy Spirit, fill me and help me to follow Jesus humbly every day. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you pray that for the first time, there are these green bags here for you, so please do take one.
But lastly, to finish off, and if the band could start coming forward, that'd be great. Jesus is the center of our worship. Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, in, uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about you, but as I think about Jesus, all he's done for me, all his goodness towards me, all the wonders that he's done in my life, all his perfection that is his example for me to follow, I can't help but overflow with praise. He is worthy of all my praise, all your praise, the, the praise of every nation, of every tongue, of every person. What other God has ever done these things for his people? What other God has ever humbled himself out of his majesty for the good of his people? There is truly no one like our God. And we're just going to respond to him in worship now. So if the band want to just come on forward and um, we're going to... We're going to sing a song of praise and just kind of keep this in your mind that Jesus humbled himself to death for you. Jesus humbled himself to death for you. And now what does God say? Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so let's just worship now. God, we exalt you. We lift you high above all others. You are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy of all of our worship. Jesus, you humbled yourself from unspeakable treasures and glory in heaven. And you entered our broken, dark, sinful world. You didn't consider what was best for you. But in the garden, you knelt down and with tears and with sweat like blood, you still said, Father, your will be done. You went to the cross. You bore our pain. You bore our shame. You hung there for us. Any other king could have said, I'm just going to quickly get my way out of here and I'm going to go back up to heaven. But Jesus, you went through with it. And so, at your name, Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that you are Lord. That you alone are God. Shall we stand together? And we can, if we're able, and we can, let's just, let's just come before him humbly, recognizing our low estate, but recognizing his greatness. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.